The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. The headlines this hour, a strong rebound on Wall Street. U.S. indices close a volatile session sharply higher as the Dow posts its biggest point gain ever. But the rally falters in some parts of Asia. Ready to act, the ECB joins a chorus of central banks pledging to support economies amid the virus outbreak as the RBA becomes the first to move and G7 financial leaders prepare to hold an emergency call. Meanwhile, Super Tuesday shaping up to be a Biden-Sanders showdown with a third of overall delegates at stake as more Democratic rivals drop out and endorse the former vice president. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits declared this campaign dead. But South Carolina had something to say about it. Tomorrow, Texas and Minnesota and the rest of Super Tuesday states, they're going to have a lot to say about it. Class Benjamin Netanyahu declaring victory in Israel's third election in less than 12 months, but still falls short of a parliamentary majority. And the Geneva Motor Show might be cancelled, but the auto sector has news to roll out. Coming up this morning, we'll speak with the CEOs of BMW, McLaren Automotive and Porsche. Global financial ministers and central bankers will today hold a conference call to talk about possible coordination in response to coronavirus. CNBC has learnt the call scheduled for one o'clock CET will be led by US Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. However, a Reuters source says that while the group is drafting a statement on countering the economic impact, it does not specifically call for coordinated interest rate cuts by central banks. Right, so the European Central Bank, let me just come across, has vowed to take, quote, appropriate and targeted measures to stem the economic fallout from coronavirus and stop the Eurozone from falling into recession. The statement by the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, follows a series of similar announcements by other leading central banks. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the US Central Bank would act as appropriate to support the American economy, whilst the Bank of Japan's Haruhiko Kuroda has promised to inject sufficient liquidity into the market. The Bank of England also vowed to work with partners to guarantee stability. The chorus of promises has fueled investor hopes of a coordinated policy response to the virus. I have to say, though, amidst all the doom and gloom and seriousness of the situation, I did give myself a little bit of a chuckle when I looked at what the individual central banks could potentially do. And I saw, yes, there are many in the market who think the Federal Reserve has the ability to cut by three quarters of a full percentage point uh, over the next meeting or so. They think the Bank of England will potentially cut by a quarter of a percentage point as well. And what do they think the ECB is going to do? Yes, you guessed it. They're going to go from negative 0.5 on their deposit rate to, wait for it, negative 0.6. That's it. 
Anyway, maybe there's some more. I don't know. Anyway, look, this is what happened in the US markets. Uh, and, and it's extraordinary. I'll tell you why it's extraordinary. Because I try to go to bed early. And very often going to bed early is before the close of the US markets. But I normally fail. And if I have managed to succeed in going to bed, then I wake up a little bit later on and see what happened. Let's have a look at the Dow session. Because this is absolutely pivotal for my evening sleep as well. So this is where we were. And I can tell you, this is about 550 up. This is about 700 up. So after a little bit of oscillation at the start of the session, this is where we were right until the last hour, i.e. 550 up, 700 up, 550 up, 700 up. And then suddenly I wake up, I don't know, 9.30, 10 o'clock local time. And then boom, we've managed to find another 1,200 points plus, about 1,300 points more. I'm like, oh, sorry, I beg your pardon, 600 more points to get to 1,300 points up. I was like, where did that come from? It was quite extraordinary. So this is where we were for the entire session. And then boom, in the last hour, 600 points more. Again, as I've said to you before, there are some sessions where I just have to tell you the numbers. I don't have to paint the rhetoric. And things like the moving Apple overnight really typify what happened. I mean, look at that. 9.3% higher for one of the biggest market cap stocks. 3.7% higher for the week. But a huge number of points on the Dow on its own. The best part of 200 points coming from one individual stock. Now, as we've talked about many times before, there is a lot of herding and the herding comes in the biggest names. And when the biggest names have had a decent fall, eventually some people like to think, oh, maybe we'll have a go at this. Maybe stocks like Microsoft, Alphabet catching a bid. So let's just see what happened when some of these other names in the session did catch a bid. So we have Microsoft gaining 6.6%. Don't forget, they've been talking about potential supply disruptions taking longer than they thought in some parts of their business. Alphabet, 3.5% to the good. Twitter putting on 8, 8% net, net, net. Well, Procter & Gamble, Walmart. So foods, uh, consumer staples and supermarkets doing incredibly well there in session 5.6 and 7.6% higher. And CVS Health Corporation putting on 8.2%. In fact, utilities were a stunning sector to the upside. All 11 sectors, funnily enough, uh, were in positive territory. Should we have a look at the yields on the treasury? What was it? 1.09 on the 10 years this time yesterday? Let's have a look. There you go. Hasn't really um, come up much, has it, as well? So there wasn't some big sell-off on treasuries. People, people still hedging their bets there as well. 1.11. Pretty sure the level you and I looked at yesterday was 1.09 as well. So while you've got... This is delicious. Don't turn the board yet. Why we've got stimulus... Because it's a big reveal. You know this, Adam, the direct. He knows me by now. And the point is, whilst you've got central banks and finance Minister goes, hi, Steve. Yeah, hi. What can we do, Mark? Yeah, what can we do and all this? Basically, the fact of the matter is there are others trying to take the stimulus away. I can't blame them. They're trying to make some money out of their oil. But this is what they're doing on the oil market. They're trying to take stimulus away. And that is partly why we had Brent having a mighty big rally yesterday. We had WTI mounting a really big rally yesterday. Because the people trying to take the stimulus away are the ones who want to protect their production revenues. Because don't forget, there's been a huge shift in wealth from producers of oil product to the consumers of oil products. And I've argued for a couple of weeks, as you well know, that actually that stimulus, potentially in the real world, not necessarily the market world, that's a different place, in the real world, that stimulus could be far greater than the stimulus that you might get from central banks as well. So Brent big rally, WTI Brent rally, big rally as well. This on the back of thoughts that OPEC and OPEC plus, you know, the central bank of oil may well be trying to take some of the stimulus away from us and curtail supply. They've got their own problems. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that's what it looks like. Gold as well. 
struggling to catch a bid really because it had this 1698 handle back down to 15 something now trading around 1600 dollars a troy ounce opening calls for european markets now i know my producers have been working hard on this one as well because i was looking at the overnights but you can do this yourselves actually go onto the spread better websites and take a look at their live prices okay and the live prices on the FTSE when i got up around about god three hours ago about three hours ago, it was up around about 67, 70 points. Now, flat as a pancake, as we've seen the Nikkei coming off as well, uh, and some of the market expectations for the US futures just abating somewhat as well. But again, it's one of those amazing sessions, just like the one day before. Well, I don't need to add too much rhetoric. I just show the numbers. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we? Well, we're, we're very well. Um, should we plow on? Yeah, if you like, or chat, or do what you like. Can we, we chat? Like. Can we Jesus, chat? So we're talking too much. We can do anything we, we, do we have like. Time. Uh, so um, I just wanted to flag up, I mean, uh, very interesting what you were showing us in terms of the um, treasuries. The fact that we don't have inversion at this point, what we have is steepening. And for those who follow the trend and the pattern of recessions, this is just worth keeping an eye on because inevitably before you get the recession, after you get that um, inversion, you, you tend to get a steepening. And you've got to watch the short end of the market here just to get a sense of where we're actually going on the short end because the market already is implying that we get a number of Fed rate cuts at this point. If the Treasury market starts to buy into that as an indicator of imminent recession, it has some indicative value, well, even as we've seen it. in the past central banks dabbling with the yield curve. On the T-bills, you do have inversion. That three-month, not on the two, but uh, the three months, certainly showing some warning signals if you're looking for in the markets. What I was going to get to, though, is the action we saw on the Dow yesterday, which was fairly extraordinary, swift recovery from the, the downbeat session a day earlier. The question is what the G7 does, and there's a lot of, uh, I think, momentum in markets because there's some hope that finance ministers might come up with something. And what are our expectations? It's uh, a number, isn't it? They have to come up with a number that is enough to counteract some of the economic slowdown from coronavirus. And I just question whether it'll be enough because what we're still going to see in coming weeks and, and potentially even months is the impact from coronavirus on consumer behaviour that demands start, which is really hard to quantify at this point. One word on your G7 as well. It's great to see what in that G7 the, the Indians are going to do, the Chinese are going to do, the big Middle Eastern players in the G7. Oh, hang on a second. None of them are in the G7. And look, this is important. I'm not just being trite here. I'm not being silly. Well, I'm being a little bit silly. But the fact of the matter is, back in 2009, 2011, when we had coordinated um, um, action, uh, you know, the last, I think look, you and I agree that it was probably the last great hurrah for the G movement as mm -hmm. well. The mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, um, that was done with global money, with Chinese involved, with the Indians involved, with the Saudis involved. It wasn't, it was a G20 move, not a G7 move. Um, there is still the issue as to what the relevance of a G7 injection of uh, stimulus at this point is. I mean, what have, we, what have we had? We've had a 10% decline in stocks. Beyond the United States, what is the relevance of a decline in stock markets in terms of the wealth effect? And I think this is the bit that we need to put our finger on here. You know, you can, you can get rate cuts, you can get these stimulus injections, but they won't deal with the immediate effect of factories that have gone to half-time working 
or are not producing at previous capacity. So there's a big question mark as to what the relevance of any stimulus is at this point in turning around what we've seen in terms of economic activity. Markets, absolutely. You can deal with the confidence. You can do what Japan has just done and pump $4.6 billion into the market. But whether that ultimately changes the quarterly earnings numbers we will see, I doubt it. It's a great point, and maybe it's worth looking at it through the lens of Australia. But it's one of the, the first central banks to move in, perhaps the beginning of some coordinated action. The RBA has cut interest rates by 25 basis points to a record low to soften the economic impact of the coronavirus. The Australian central bank warned of noticeably weaker growth amid a significant hit from the epidemic. But the Australian dollar has bounced back with a little bit of short covering. I think some of the market thought there might be a 50 basis point rate cut. But let's get up to Matthew Taylor for more. Matt, I was looking at a report from Shane Oliver, longtime market commentator, economist, and he was pointing out, well, the numbers come out on uh, the Australian economic story from GDP in the fourth quarter this week. Maybe it's going to show some weakness. And if we add the first quarter now with coronavirus, Australia could already be in recession. Absolutely, because remember the bushfire impact as well uh, in the back end of 2019 too. You mentioned the Australian dollar and you can see it on the wall behind me, a spike up uh, despite the fact that we got that 25 basis point cut out of the RBA. Some suggesting we could have got a whole 50 basis points. Karen, you'll remember back in 2008, I think it was your first day at CNBC when we had that surprise move from the RBA cutting a full 100 basis points. Then we saw global central banks uh, follow up in the preceding hours as well. We'll see if that's the case later on today. The RBA saying the coronavirus has clouded the short-term outlook uh, in particular when it comes to the economy on things like tourism and also the education sector. But it says once the virus is contained, the economy uh, will return to an improving trend, 65.39. Asian markets, Aussie market closing higher, but well off the highs of the day, up by about seven-tenths of 1%. New Zealand, the standout performer today. We've got a mixed performance in China. Hong Kong is lower. Shanghai is firmer. Uh, But Japan, we are a lot of money going back into the safety of the Japanese yen, sitting right around the 107 level. So that is pressuring the Japanese market, uh, closing down now by 1.2%. Guys, back over to you. Terrific. Thank you very much indeed, Matt, for that. And um, incredible that he remembers the dates when you were here, there and everywhere. I thought we had the memory of an elephant, but it was on the other side of this set. (laughs) 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 Um, Nadia Grant is with us, uh, head of US equities for EMEA at uh, Columbia Threadneal Asset Management. But Nadia, nice to see you this morning. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Um, let me just ask you a very simple question. Big bounce back on the Dow. What are you doing with the American fund that you run? Yes, we had um, we had been uh, holding our nerves uh, during the down uh, the downturn, uh, and really, what was important for us was to understand uh, what, what's the market pricing in, and what's the upside, what's the downside on the economy, and therefore in the market. Uh, so um, we we think that right now uh, the market's been pricing zero uh, percent earnings growth for 2020, uh, rightly so, and probably a resumption to about eight percent earnings growth next year. Uh, um, that would be consistent with uh, 165 uh, EPS on a 17 times uh, uh, multiple around the levels we are, we are now. Um, so we haven't done anything on the margin. We're always penciling in uh, or sharpening our, our pencils on some of the ideas, some of the stocks that we think are being dislocated. Uh, um, but uh, we've been topping some of those names. Uh, um, that Those names can be in the healthcare sector. We've had uh, some in the semi-sector, uh, but nothing uh, too dramatic. So I, w- I would uh, describe that as nothing to see here 
this quarter and coronavirus will wash out and we will refocus as fund managers on the underlying and why that matters. Right? So that's what the market's pricing in. That's what we think. That's what our base case scenario also is. Uh, but I do not think the markets are washed. I do not think the mar- markets have panicked. Um, and so in terms of finding Ten. great ideas, uh, we, we haven't we haven't had um, we haven't had enough of a sell-off for that. So if we were to think that the coronavirus, like our downside scenario, for example, is a, a pandemic that has a, a, a recessionary impact in the U.S. economy, uh, that, that scenario is not priced in at all by the market right now. So we have a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and so, uh, yes, we have a base case scenario. That's the one I've laid out. But very uh, a lot of uncertainty around that. Still a lot of open questions. Virologists and health experts are sitting and waiting for that possible label of a pandemic from the WHO. If we do see that official tag attached to coronavirus, where do markets need to reset to? So if we were to have a um, um, uh, containment uh, in the same magnitude or in the same way that you've had in in China, uh, if you were to have uh, a closure of manufacturing facilities, closure of schools, closure closure of businesses in the US, you could see a worst case scenario, which is not what we're saying right now is our base case scenario, but you could see, uh, you could see a proper contraction in activity. So, and then that would be consistent with, uh, on average earnings, uh, are, are downgrading by about 13% or negative 13% during recession time. And so that, that would be consistent with, uh, an S&P 500, some 20%, uh, uh, lower than where we are today. Uh, but again, that would be, a, a, a the outlier scenario. And your clients and the rest of the community out there have to put their money somewhere. And then again, this whole Tina or Trina argument, what have you, is like, so the, the central bank cuts by 25, 50, 75 base. Let's go for the full scenario. It gets cuts by 75 base points. That really endorses where else do we put our money? So as much as I hear what you're saying about concern between your base case scenario and your worst case scenario, there's a whole host of investors out there going, well, I haven't got anywhere else to put my money. So are they going to put their money into the stock market regardless? I think it's a matter of time frame. If we uh, if we think that uh, uh, on the on the one year view, on the twelve to eighteen months year view, you should get a resumption of, of activity, uh, and uh, and that uh, then that that would provide a pretty nice uh, entry point. And, and and you're right to say as a as a pensioner, you may have a very long term horizon. You necessarily, <laughs> but, but you may have a, a long term horizon. And in that case, uh, I mean, the, the just history shows that. Uh, uh, and I, I think even Warren Buffett has said that at t- in times of volatilities and deep, you're always better off in the long run just staying invested. All right, excellent. Well, you're staying with us, so we'll get uh, more bites at the cherry to, uh, to uh, pick your brain on this as well. Coming up on the programme, a show of force. Joe Biden gets several key endorsements ahead of Super Tuesday. We're going to talk about what that means for Biden as he prepares for his showdown with Senator Bernie Sanders. And just a reminder, if you can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. You can head to cmc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. to have a listen and download today's episode. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. 
The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Sergio Motti leaving UBS, which we've been flagging up to our audience in recent weeks. And the news now, he will become the Swiss Re chairman. And just crossing this morning, the company is saying they will nominate Sergio Motti to be the next chairman, according to the reinsurer. And Motti will step down from UBS uh, in November. He will replace Walter Kielholz at Swiss Re from 2021, the company said, confirming uh, some of the press reports that had been out there earlier. C-suite musical chairs. It uh, well, it's funny, isn't it? Ralph Hammers is going over to UBS, of yes. course, to replace yes. him. Uh, and we've got this whole move around in the banking industry. I thought we weren't going to see much movement in the reinsurance or the insurance business because things have kind of settled down. We had that big rotation about three years ago. And you look at Swiss Re numbers, they've been perfectly fine. I remember we did the interviews at the end of, uh, um, what was it, uh, February? And fine fine no issue so it doesn't look like Motti's going in because there need to be radical changes it just feels like he's going in because it's steady on the tiller deal making will that come to the fore at Swiss Re it's been raised before that SoftBank clearly a deal that didn't progress with Swiss Re there was uh, that uh, move to try and float uh, reassure that part of the business that didn't happen. So do you think you should you could see more under Amorti? Yeah, he's, he's a deal maker. I don't know whether you have a view on this or whether it's a sector that's um, close to your hearts or not, but I often wonder what is the real value of bulking up in the insurance sector when ultimately I don't know that you get the same kind of synergies that you would get from maybe manufacturing or some other areas where you can clearly reduce capital invested. It doesn't seem that it makes that much difference. Maybe it's useful when you're in asset management, but Swiss reinsurance specifically? I, I, well, I follow just the U.S. market, so I wouldn't know right. specifically about Swiss Re, but the consolidation we've seen in the U.S., it's been mm. mostly uh, in terms of acquiring acquiring um, middle-side uh, uh, managers, middle-side sales force, or a market when you, I'm thinking about Aflac in the case where you can't uh, have access to that market. So right. it's been mostly to acquire expertise that you don't necessarily, necessarily have organically. Um, uh, but uh, um, and I look at uh, uh, Chubb, uh, a track record, it hasn't really uh, delivered so much uh, yeah. value in their case. I mean, bolt on that cat or something like that might be quite quite interesting. If you, as you say, you bring in some specialists, but we'll have to see. Well, people want you to go bolt on that cat. Bolt on that cat. Bolt on that cat. Talk English, man. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, One of the biggest days in the Democratic presidential race is upon us. Super Tuesday, uh, where voters in these 14 states will head to the polls. That doesn't help you if you're listening, does it? (laughs) I'll tell you where some of them are. Uh, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, California, Texas, Oklahoma. Um, You've got the whole host of them there as well. Anyway, uh, those 14 uh, states go to the polls today. California and Texas have the most delegates up for grabs. The magic number to secure the Democratic nomination is 1991. What were you doing in 1991, Jeff? Uh, 1991, I was was reporting on the attack on the White House in Russia. 
I think. Wasn't that? That was in the middle of the whole Russian uh, meltdown yeah. at that point. Yeltsin on the tanks. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great one. I did. What were you doing in Well, you said the expiry. Very yeah. quick story. You said yeah. the expiry on the equity option, index options on the last day of the year. Yeah. yeah. I just joined Credit Lyonnais. I had a really good run up for about four months. Made a decent amount of money running a, a book there for them as well. In the last couple of minutes of the trading year, I had to ring my boss in Paris and say, yeah, Bernard, bit of a problem. The December-March spread on futures has gone mad and I still had some to roll and it never normally went mad. Uh, and volatility has picked up a little bit and we've just gone through a hell of a lot of expiries. Bit of an issue. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you're joking. I'm like, no, no. Anyway, we made the money back, but anyway. Okay, uh, nineteen ninety-one. Karen, you were probably in junior school. Probably in school. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we won't ask the guest. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll spare you. Spare your blushes. Um, well, ahead of the key event in the presidential race, two former rivals joined Joe Biden on stage. Uh, Amy Klobuchar and uh, Beto O'Rourke threw their support behind the former vice president. In a separate appearance, Pete Buttigieg also endorsed Biden. Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped out of the race within 24 hours Just of each other. We've to lose those two names, aren't we? What you mean we don't have to keep saying uh, Klobuchar and Buttigieg? Sanders Biden. They just come off the tongue so easily, don't they? Uh, Biden uh, looked to silence his critics as he campaigned in Texas ahead of Super Tuesday, looking to capitalize on his big win in South Carolina. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits declared this campaign dead. But South Carolina had something to say about it. And tomorrow, Texas and Minnesota and the rest of Super Tuesday states, you're going to have a lot to say about it. And when you do, we'll be on our way to defeating Donald Trump in a second term. Uh, speaking in front of a crowd in Minnesota, Democratic frontrunner Bernie Sanders rallied against the political establishment. It's not just the corporate establishment that's getting nervous. The political establishment is getting nervous. And they look at rallies like this at St. Paul and they say, what's going on here? Bernie Sanders there. Nadia is with us from uh, Columbia Threadneedle Asset Management. Just very briefly, Nadia, on this. Um, so there is a, a real chance here that Biden could have a strong run against Bernie Sanders. What's that worth in S&P points? The fact um, that it's not going to be Sanders getting an open run at this. I think it reassures the market. So from... Uh, from uh, 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 mostly, so I think it's definitely market positive. There's no mm. doubt about that. Uh, and uh, and then uh, also more importantly, perhaps it creates more uncertainty in terms of uh, 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 the odds of the of the president, because what we've seen recently is as uh, Bernie Sanders uh, 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 was viewed more and more as the lead front runner, uh, the odds of uh, of a Trump re-election in in the market have had come up, and his approval ratings actually were improving. So I guess that that balances that a bit. And in, from a sector standpoint as well, you have implication, obviously. Can you bring out the point that in other international markets, and we talk about politics, typically you see the way that's expressed through foreign exchange and through bond markets. When we talk about the US, we're closely watching the US markets. Is that the right focus? And why is the US different to other markets in the way the political views are expressed for investors? 
So you mean what's the impact well, on the dollar? So, your, is, so is, for is instance, the take the, uh, the Italian stock market. Typically, we, we see the reaction in the Italian bond market if there's going to be a change in politics, someone who's seen as less market-friendly. Mm. Just one example here in Europe. When we talk about the United States, we're really raking through all asset classes for a reaction to a left-leaning candidate, whether it's in the US dollar, whether it's in the treasury market, whether it's in US stocks. Why the breadth of reaction versus what you see in other international markets? Yeah, I think I, I think it's correct because it's about as an equity investor, I would I would think of it as what's the impact of the policies on the economy and therefore what the market owes to reflect and 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 uh, and, and discount as a result. So uh, um, you do have indeed a, a response on the bond market. So a Bernie uh, election would obviously uh, uh, be a, a, a very uh, could be damaging for the economy and therefore the bond market would reflect that and then obviously the equity market uh, uh, would reflect a lot of uncertainty around the policies but then you have checks and balances still in the process and you're still uh, uh, likely to have a very divided congress and so uh, any uh, any very progressive candidate would have uh, uh, would have to uh, uh, run only on executive power or mostly on executive powers uh, which would limit vastly uh, uh, the scope of what they could do thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.